The ultimate question, the only question that matters in the world as we're walking on this planet is, who is Jesus to you? Not who is Jesus, but who is Jesus to you, to each person? Something we have to think. And I use this in my practice. It gives me a for like a spiritual assessment to see where people are at in their religious or spiritual lives by asking this question. And it really surprises me by how many people stop and ponder that. You know, who is Jesus to me? And they'll say, well, he's the son of God. or he And I say, well, that's who he is, but who is he to you? At the end of this year, come May, Uh, It is our prayer, and I know it will happen from studying the Gospel of John the way we're going to do intimately. He is going to become far, far, far more important than he is if you answer that question right now. So as we ask ourselves the question, who is Jesus to me? There's like two, two people involved, two variables. There's Jesus and there's me. There's you. So the starting point here is you, me, us, looking at who we are. So let's take an honest look, a real honest look of who we are at ourselves. How well do we deal with lives? Hold on. Let me wet my whistle. I couldn't unscrew that with one hand. It was quite a thing. How well do we deal with life? Hmm. How well did we deal with this last summer? This was a hard summer, wasn't it? This was like something like I'd never, ever had done before. Um, any of us have ever done anything like this before? The whole world, this affected the whole world. It was very different. How did we deal with that? How do we deal with these personal struggles? Anxiety is at an all-time high. Do I react to things? Or do I step back and take a deep breath and kind of navigate through it? At what point in my life, in a situation, do I actually decide, oh, it's time to pray about it? After we've tried everything else and nothing's worked, or when our anxiety gets so high or depression so low that, oh, well, I can't do it on my own, so it's time to pull God in. Is he a last resort? If we take an honest look, a truly honest look, and and I'm not going to ask you to raise hands, I'm not going to do anything like that, but truly to honestly look at who we are, that needs to be the starting point as we look at this year, and get into knowing Jesus better, is to be vulnerable and look at ourselves. I know for a fact that I am a very selfish person. I know that. And I know for a fact that none of you would want to hang out with me if I didn't have Jesus in my life. You would not like me. Because I don't like me without Jesus in my life. You would find that I am quick-tempered, very selfish, angry, at the drop of a hat. I I mull over things all the time, and I actually fuel the fire and keep it going lots of times. 
There's a lot of fears and regrets. I have huge insecurities. For me to do this, there's no way I would ever do something like this because this I would never do this. So we're very selfish. We're self-focused. And when we are self-focused, when we, when we are, are worried about ourselves, when we, we walk into a room and think, oh, what are they going to think of me? Um, gee, are they talking about me? They're looking at me, you know. <laughs> I can, I can pretty much bet that every other person in that room is asking the same question and no one's looking at nobody else but themselves. So we worry about stuff. We're very self-focused. We're, we're anxious. And this results in a lot of insecurities because we know our weaknesses. If you really knew who I was, if you really knew, if people really knew who you were, they might not want to hang around you. So there's insecurities like that. So we hide. Scripture says, if we're really honest, Romans 3, 10 to 12 says, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. All. Together they have become worthless. No one does good not even one. That's who we are to the core. We might do some good deeds or something, but there's also always an alternative motive. It's always a self thing. It's what are they thinking of me? And so we have to come to this study not ignorant of who we are. We have to come to this study this year being vulnerable. Now, I'm not saying we have to air all our dirty laundry, and, and I'm not even saying that you have to share in your group all the horrible things that you've done. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that we honestly have got to drop some guards down when you do your Bible study at home and when you're praying before God. Sit there and pray before you start and ask God to see if there's any sin in your heart and confess that. Thank God for this Bible study. Thank him that you have the ability to understand. Thank him for your holy, his Holy Spirit. And get in the right mindset to really be vulnerable and hear what God has to say to you. We're going to be taking risks to get to know Jesus. Um, and we're not just going to find out facts about Jesus. At the end of this year, if we're not vulnerable and open with ourselves as we study, if we don't do that first step, by the end of the year, you'll have a bunch of facts about Jesus. You'll be able to recite back all the things that he did and the miracles that he did and all those wonderful things, and you'll have it all up here. But God's desire, and it's our desire, to study this word, and by the end of the year, to really know him, to know him. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 talks about a need for knowing him. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I have been fully known. So that verse comes from chapter 13, the love chapter near the end. And we, um, you know, those mirrors, those Old mirrors, those ancient mirrors, when this Paul wrote that, was very not clear like the technology we have now to have just really crystal clear, exact images. It was, it was very wobbly. 
And so Paul is saying, now we see in a mirror, but it's very dimly. It's not even a clear mirror, what we see when we look back at ourselves. But that chapter is telling us that we are fully known. Jesus fully knows who we are. So if we're not vulnerable with him, we're only fooling ourselves because he already knows what's inside of us. And when we get to heaven, we will, be fully, we will fully know even as we're fully known. And the thing about it in heaven is there's not going to be any sin in our lives, so we're going to fully know who we are without any sin. There's not going to be a whole lot of me left, but it's like... <laughs> but what's in there is going to grow. It's, it's Christ-like. When we get to chapter 4... We're going to look at the Samaritan woman at the well. And she was there, an outcast. She had personal struggles. She had sin. Um, But she allowed herself to let Jesus know everything about her. She didn't deny it, did she, when he pointed stuff out, how many husbands she had and what was going on. He didn't point out the fact that she could come to the well when no one else is there because the other women shunned her. He didn't point those things out. He just said facts about her. And she was, wow, he knows this about me, and still he's talking to me. So we go into this this study this year knowing that he already knows about all that stuff. So we lay down all of our defensive, all of our facades that we have, Speaking of facades, let's look at that. We have to take an honest look at how we relate to other people. Our familiar relationships. I wish that, hey, it's the Clampets are in the house. (laughs) That was a good TV show, wasn't it? Um, Facebook... Facebook, even the name, Facebook, facade book, right? Facade book, just my face. You can put anything on there you want to put on there. You can even airbrush your face if you wanted to. You can change your hair color. You can take the best angle you want. You can just even put people that you know and friends that you don't even know on there, right? And people look at that like it's the truth. There are more, especially kids, well, uh, people, uh, women are very involved in Facebook too, that are suffering from depression and anxiety just because of Facebook. Our social media has put that stuff skyrocketing these days because we look at what other people are doing and their lives are so perfect, aren't they? Look at their friends. Look at all that cool stuff that they're doing. And we're sitting home alone, bemoaning. We don't have that stuff. Well, I've got news for everybody. It's all a facade. You know, they can really create an image for themselves and present that to the world. They hide behind a Facebook page so they can cover up the depression and anxiety that's going on with them. So we can't compare ourselves to other people. We have to look at our relationships and look honestly at them, and be able to appreciate them and be thankful for them, and not regret that they're not doing all these wonderful things that all these other people are doing, and and go home and complain to our husbands because, well, look at my friends doing on Facebook, you know, whatever. Look at the world, and that's not helpful. So looking at how we relate to other people 
and being appreciative and being thankful for that stuff. We live in a world where the breakdown of the family unit is pretty bad. Divorce, blended family struggles. Young people aren't even getting married anymore. Why should they, you know? No one's really got a lack of commitment. I hear all the time, well, if we can't, if we have to try out living together in, in, in order to do that, and why should we get married anyways, you know? Commitment doesn't mean anything. So when we look at all this stuff that's going on in relationships, do we blame God? Do we ask God, why did he do this to me? We can't be open to know Jesus if we're on the defense with him. If, if we're attacking him and blaming him and pushing him away and have this thing, this big shield up because he's doing all this bad stuff to us, he's allowing this stuff to happen and it's his fault, then we're never going to be open enough to, to have a relationship with us. And that brings us into the world struggles. You look around. I started to put this together by just getting some news headlines. And I just pulled out one. I figured one would say it. CDC. Pandemic fuels threefold increase in rates of depression and anxiety. Right there. Just one event that's happening out there. Three times the increase in depression and anxiety. The world's burning or falling apart or being very chaotic. We are blessed to live in this little area here where we don't experience that, but it's out there. We can't be ignorant to it. So do we blame God for all that stuff? Way back in 1970s, when I was at probably a freshman at Cal State San Bernardino, in California, I met a kid, another fellow student who was one of my classes and found out I was a Christian and, um, and I was pretty okay with my faith at that point going to this university and, and man, he said, well, yeah, I'll, I'll debate you about God, we'll meet and we met on a bench on the campus, boy did I remember that, I remember a lot but I remember this, sitting there on that bench and he met me there. And the first thing he asked me was, why did God make all these uh, mental retarded children? Why did God make all these kids with disabilities? And at 19 years old, I really couldn't answer him. I didn't have an answer. And that just really, uh, well, I, well, you can't. And I just fumbled and, and he got up and left. Um, why do I remember that? Boy, because he wasn't asking the right question. God didn't make all that stuff. God didn't make disabled children. Sin created disabled children. Sin did. So we've got to stop blaming God for things and asking why he's doing this. A lot of what he does is to expose who we are and to expose the world and all the sin that it's been in. Horrific sin the world's been doing worldwide. So as that sin comes to light, we can hold up the answer in the gospel that Jesus Christ is the answer to all of that. That's what Jesus is doing. He didn't create all the bad stuff, but he has the answer. And we, want to, we start by knowing that he is the only answer to the problem. Divine peace. His spirit he's given us for comfort. So this year, 
our theme kind of is come and see. Come to Bible study and see. Invite your friends. We still have room for people. They're talking about putting us in the big sanctuary, okay? So we come, invite. Now is the time to come and see. Come and see who Jesus is because he is the hope. He is the source of life. All right, so we look at ourselves honestly this year. Next, we're going to look at the Word of God, this book, this book. Have any of you been to the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C.? Yeah, I knew you did, Sandy, yeah. If you, if you want to be brave and go to Washington, D.C., I might wait till maybe next year <laughs> to go. But it's a fabulous museum, um, and it's just celebrating this book. It's not, a, it's, not, it's not really pushing Christianity. It's just talking about presenting facts and this book and the history of it and how it was written, preserved, and its impact on the world. It is a very beautiful museum, um, just a block from the Capitol. So anyways, as we look at this book, Old Testament, 39 books, New Testament, 27 but you didn't know this fact. So total, 66 books, right? In the whole Bible. In the book of Isaiah, it has 66 chapters. The first 39 chapters of Isaiah are kind of like the Old Testament 39 books because the first 39 chapters of Isaiah talks about judgment and exile. When you get to chapter 40 of Isaiah, the prophet begins it by saying this, Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. And in the last 27 books, or 27 chapters, like the last 27 books in the the New Testament, is all hope restoration, the answer, restoring, return to the promised land. Isn't that a beautiful thing? That Isaiah, right in the middle of the Bible, there you have it. It's an amazing book. 17 historical books, 5 poetic books, 17 prophetic books, 4 gospels, and 12 epistles or letters. took a span of 15 centuries to complete the writing of this book. And there's prophecies in this book. There's approximately 2,500 prophecies in the Bible. And out of those 2,500 prophecies, 2,000 have come to fruition, fulfillment, exactly to the T how the Bible talks about it. Exactly. And they're not contingent on each other. It's not like, well, this happened, therefore this happened. They stand alone. And that makes it even more amazing that it's fulfilled. The probability of that happening, the probability of that happening is one over 2,000 zeros, which is pretty much impossible. It's impossible. But only God and his sovereignty and his divine nature of who he is can have that happen. So ladies and gentlemen, what's going to happen to the last 500 prophecies in the book? Is it going to happen the way the book says? It's going to happen the way the book says. It is happening the way the book says, isn't it? Weather patterns, different things happening, it is happening. 
So it's an amazing book. Did you know that the Bible declared the earth was round before Columbus sailed? Did you know that? Everybody in the world thought it was flat. They were going to send out and go. But there is in Isaiah 40, verse 22, says, It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. Right there. Right there. They said it was round, the circle of the earth. The Bible told us that the earth is suspended in space. Back in Job, which is the oldest book written, Job 26.7 says, God stretches the north, northern sky over empty space and hangs the earth on nothing. Boy, could you imagine what Job and those guys thought of that verse? What's they talking about? Did you know that the Bible has a do not fear verse for every day of the year? 360 verses in here, do not fear, do not be afraid, do not be anxious. Trying to tell us something, that we're fearful people, and that, and that don't do it, that's a commandment, because he's with us. Do not be afraid, I am with you. Well, that's the context of the book. It's been preserved over history. Over one million copies sold every year. It's the best-selling nonfiction book in the world. It's been translated into 690 languages. I thought this statistic was interesting. It's the most stolen book in the world. I think it's the Gideons that kind of promote <laughs> or something, right? It's the most stolen book. There's been numerous attempts to eliminate this book. Just in this last month or so, it was burned in Portland, Oregon, trying to destroy it. It's burned even today, but it's active and alive. Isaiah 48 says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. What does the Bible say about Jesus? Well, we're going to find out a lot of this this year, but just for a little tease here. Jesus is God. John 10, 30, 33, Jesus answered them, I and the Father are one. Jesus is God. He is creator of all. And we'll look at that next week. When you go home and do your lessons, we'll look at that. He is the creator of all. Jesus preached on hell more than anyone in the Bible. That's found in Matthew 5:29. He talked a lot about hell. Warning us, telling us, telling us the truth of what's going to happen. We are without excuse. And Jesus is the only way, the only way to heaven. Repent and believe. John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So come and see this year. Come and see that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and the source of all life. So we're going to look at ourselves honestly and be vulnerable we're going to look into the Word of God, this amazing book, as we study together. And finally, the word together is the kicker. We know Jesus through fellowship with other believers. We know Jesus through fellowship together. Follow me with this, ladies, because this is what I've been hanging on to all summer as we grappled with what to do here. When, we, when the church, when the saints gather together, we manifest the love of God. 
We might individually be a candle or something, but when we come together, God's love is intensified. It is manifested. It is working out through us. A couple elements come into play. First of all, God himself is love. It's not just that he's loving. We know he's loving, but he is the essence of love. And love is an odd word. I've used this before with you guys. I've said, love, I love pizza. I love my dog. I even love my husband. But I love God. That's a different kind of love. And God's love for us is far more than the love that somebody has for their dog. So he's the essence of love. Pure love is like pure truth without any falsehood of sin. Think about that. Love is the pure essence of truth without falsehood of sin. Sin is actually the um, lack of perfection. So God, perfect harmony of positive energy. And that brings us into the church, the body of Christ, one body. So many verses on one body, so many verses. I'm just a part of the body which means my finger can't walk around, or my I'd probably be a heel, probably. <laughs> heel is nothing really without the body connected. The body of believers, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, last year, for, one, for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Ephesians 4, 4, one body, one spirit, Romans 12, 4 to 5, for just as we were, have many members in one body and, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many, are one body in Christ and individual members of one another. We're mem- we are connected, individual members of one another. A perfect harmony of positive energy functioning correctly and naturally when God's Spirit lives in me and you and each other and we're just together. It's something you really can't put into words when I was talking to people about grappling with this, about should we do virtual? I really don't want to, but I'm open to it. You know, do you think it's the same, same thing? And I think the main parting thing that came um, in this, this uh, grappling with community Bible study in their mission statement that says, to make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ in caring communities, available for all. Forget about the available for all, because that's not really happening here. But to make disciples, and I thought, we can't do that two-dimensional. We have to live it out, follow, we have to, Christ had them follow him and live with him and, and be with him. There's something about the spirit that is, energized or motivating it's again you can't put it into words and how many times i heard people say i just like being at cbs bible study because it just feels good it's just so much fun the leaders are always telling it's the highlight of my week to come to to come to bible study and to be here to be of like-minded people it's an uplifting thing so together and also together we are a witness to the world the results of a new commandment that Jesus gave in John 13:34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, just as I have loved you, and you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. How can we express love for one another? 
by being with each other, by interacting with each other. This is the biggest uh, uh, attempt by Satan, who runs the world, to separate the body of Christ. Isolate us, can't even look at each other's facial expressions. God wins in the end here. We'll, we'll go along, but God wins here. Um, others will know how, because we love each other. Jesus even prayed for that unity in John 17 when he was in the garden praying. He says in verse 20 of that, um, I do not ask, he's talking to the Father, I do not ask for these only, praying for his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me, which is us in this room, through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. You know what? If our, if our job here, and we'll find out by the end of John that we've been given the same commission that God gave Jesus, and that is to go out and tell people of who Jesus is, the love of God, and if they, they know that because of how we are together, we have to be together, don't we? We have to be together. The world's got to see how we function with each other. The world has to see how we engage with each other. That's our witness to the world. And finally, with that, glorification results in oneness. In that same prayer in the garden, John 17, 22 to 23, um, Jesus says, 22, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. To them, plural, we have God's glory when we get together. That they may be one even as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me even as you loved me. We have got to be together to be the witness to the world. So together we come to know Jesus. Together we come to know Jesus more deeply and broadly and to really know him. Here's one of my favorite verses that kind of impact coming together to study. Ephesians 3, 18 to 19, Paul prays that together the saints may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. Do you like how I did that with one arm? That was pretty good. <laughs> See, nothing's impossible with God. We can do this. <laughs> that we can know all, let me start, that we can have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What a great verse that is. God is all-consuming He's all-consuming. And we're going to get to know Jesus better, a better understanding, be glorified more as we study the Word of God together. This little Bible study in this corner of Tennessee, Bristol, is going to set this community on fire. I pray that this church will be blessed, this community will be blessed, because we are gathered here studying God's Word together. Did you know that we will spend eternity getting to know God, and we'll never completely know him completely? Grasp that idea. So come and see. 
that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and the source of all life. Please come. I'm going to read a prayer from Scripture as we close here. Please bow with me. Almighty God, we bow before you, the one true God, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to your riches of your glory, you may grant us to be strengthened with your power through your spirit in our inner being, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, that we, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with each other what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. And now to you who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to you be glory in the church of and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and forever. Amen.